The Unfiltered by Jade. Jade. Welcome to The Unfiltered by Jade, where we educate, empower, and entertain. Feel free to like, share, subscribe, download, donate, and make everybody know who this. Beats by RB Records. Shopping assistance, your style, your budget. Our services include online and local shopping for individuals and businesses, personal shopping, purchasing of company and office supplies, importing and exporting small packages across Jamaica and worldwide, and helping you find unique gifts and items for all events and occasions. Contact us at 876-919-5195 or shoppingassistance2015 at gmail.com. Shopping Assistance, your style, your budget. Welcome back to The Unfiltered by Jade. Today we have with us here Tim Kutsi and... I am here to speak about, well, we are both here to speak about MS. This is something I've just recently learned about, and I think he's a perfect person to speak to us about this conversation. So hi, Tim. Hi, Jade. Pleasure to be with you and your audience. Thank you. And let me give you a little background about him. So the Chief Advocacy Services and Science Officer for the National MS Society. Perfect. Yes. So... We want to get into it first. I want you to let our audience know what is multiple sclerosis, which we know as MS, and what causes it? A uh, couple of great questions. So why don't we start with what it is? Mm-hmm. So multiple sclerosis, or MS, as, as you noted, uh, is a disease of uh, a person's brain and their spinal cord where um, the flow of information from our brain and our spinal cord to the rest of the body gets disrupted. And, you know, basically the, the short, I think an easy way to think about it is, um, you know, as I'm talking to you, you ask that question, the question, you know, I heard the question, my brain processes it, and then it tells my, my mouth to start <laughs> answering your question. Mm, and okay. all of that kind of coordination, right? There's a network of wires that can, you know, our nerves that connect the brain to the mouth and all of that. And in MS, what's happening is that those connections are being cut, damaged in different ways in different parts of a person's brain. And, you know, some of those things that we often take for granted get disrupted. Uh, and so that's sort of broadly speaking what what it means. Okay. Um, it's caused, um, you know, that's a, a, a different big question. Um, what, what, we, what we don't know is the exact and precise cause that says this is the thing that causes MS. What we do know is that it's likely a combination of things. Um, A person's genetic makeup is one thing. So, you know, what their, you know, their genetics makes them as a person. Uh, And then a second factor is, you know, they probably would be exposed to something in the environment as they were growing up. It could be a virus. It could be not having gotten enough sunlight and low vitamin D. 
um, some what we call environmental factor that, you know, it, you know, it's kind of a lock and key that, you know, that exposure along with the right kind of genetic sort of background contributes to a person developing MS. It's still a bit of a puzzle for us to try to get at the precise cause. We're making progress towards that, but broadly speaking, those are, that's where we are today. Um, certainly a lot further than we were 20 years ago, but still right. ways to go. That, that's interesting though, because I mean, persons would probably want to try and avoid getting it if it is that they know that there are certain things in, in, in the environment. But if you don't know, you really right. can't avoid it. And I, I, at this point, I would love to say, you know, what what we should avoid to not get it. There are some things later in the podcast that we can talk about that if a person is living with MS that, that I would recommend they avoid. That's a separate uh, a separate question I'm sure your readers may have. Okay, okay. Sounds good to me. What are some of the common symptoms? Uh, so that's another really great question. And this is one of the challenges with multiple sclerosis is that it it shows up in every person in a variety of different ways. And, and there are some common symptoms that often uh, people will have. And the challenge we have is sometimes those common symptoms are like something else. So for example, they could be constant tingling in your your hands. Let's say your hands or your feet, you're, you're experiencing constant tingling or pain over several days that just shows up. That's one possible symptom. Another possible and very common kind of symptom is a person will have trouble, they'll wake up and they, they have difficulty seeing out of, say, their left eye, but not their right eye, and it just sort of shows up. Um, or they may wake up one day and, you know, they have their, their left leg isn't working and they're dragging their leg. And so these are all what we call neurological signs where, you know, your, 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 your nervous system isn't behaving properly and they can stay on for a while. And, you know, one of the things that makes diagnosing MS complicated is that, you know, for example, tingling in your hands could be MS, but it could also be you have a pinched nerve. That's what you I know? was thinking. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> like these these different symptoms could be something else. Exactly. And that is one of the things that oftentimes leads people to not get diagnosed quickly when they have MS is because they go to the doctor and said, oh, let's just watch that because, you know, the tingling could come, could go. Uh, and it can be very frustrating for people and sometimes can take them a long time to get confirmed for MS. And, and you, know, you know, if their doctor is not paying attention to getting them into a neurologist, that, you know, can lead to a, mi a misdiagnosis. The other, on the, on the flip side, you know, the other thing too is, you know, sometimes, you know, if the, the we'll use the example of, uh, you know, blurriness in one eye, that could be MS. But sometimes that could also be a viral infection that affects your eye. You get an, an inflamed nerve that, you know, connects your eye to your brain, but then that resolves itself. And so you don't have MS. You happen to have what they call optic neuritis. Oh uh, and you wouldn't want to start a, an expensive treatment <laughs> if you don't need it. <laughs> so those are, it's the, it's the frustration about MS. Um, but I will say the good news is, and we can talk a little bit uh, about diagnosing, is that we're getting much better at being able to spot these symptoms and encouraging people to, you know, be their own self-advocates to get in there to see a doctor because we are able to diagnose MS much faster than we used to in the past. That's good. And, and you have touched on diagnose, diagnosis for this in terms of this. So we are not to go on Google to search it up. Well, you know, if you're going to go on Google, I would recommend visit the national MS society.org and we'll give you some good trusted information. Dr. Google um, can 
be useful sometimes, but more often can be wrong and can be scary in terms of yes. some of the symptoms that you could just leap to places where, you know, you you might not want to leap to yes. early on in the process. So, you know, what I would say is the important thing is like if, if someone is experiencing these symptoms is... The important thing is to be your own advocate and not ignore them and just sort of say, oh, the doctor's right. You know, let's just wait and see. Um, you know, the doc- I'm not trying to say that doctors aren't very smart and careful. They're trying to be good doctors. But at the same time, you know, as a patient, it's really important to be your own advocate and say, look, you know, I've had this tingling for, you know, three months now. Maybe I should see a neurologist. <laughs> you know, right, right. Because sometimes, sometimes. I'm trying to explain it to the doctors. They still don't understand what we're saying. Exactly. And we are the only ones that know what we're feeling. Exactly. You you are your own strongest advocate. And, you right. know, let's say you're going to a general, you know, your general practice, a family practice doc, you know, treating neurology is not their thing. Right? They see a wide range of things. And so we encourage people, you know, if you've got vision problems in your in your eye, for example, and that just showed up and it's, you've had it for at least 24 hours and the, it doesn't seem to be resolving, Get in to your doctor and get referred to a neurologist as quickly okay. as you can. Okay. That's good. That's good to hear. I don't want anybody saying that they went to Google to check it out. I know no, no. they're panicking. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. <laughs> no, I mean, Google's very useful for a lot of things. You know, medicine, not, not so much. Not to check up anything if it is that you're not well. Please don't. <laughs> exactly right. That's precisely right. Um, uh, are there different stages, though, of MS? Yeah. So uh, maybe before we get to the stages, let me talk about how it's diagnosed and then I can tell you a bit about how um, the different stages of MS. So so one of the things that we can do today is that we're much better at being able to diagnose someone very quickly, you know, much quicker, like within six months. And your listeners are wondering, well, why does it take so long? So diagnosing MS today basically involves the doctor sort of spending time with a person, taking a pretty detailed history to understand, have you had other instances of, you know, blurry vision that you didn't go to the doctor for, but then went away? Um, And why why they're being so detailed is what we want to do in diagnosing MS is to make sure that a person's had at least two of what the, we call these neurological events, like, you know, difficulty in the eye, maybe tingling your hands and different parts of the person's nervous system because that tells us there's something something up and that they probably you know when when it affects more than one place in the nervous system that probably tells you that there's something that probably points to ms and then today we also would pair that up with a person getting uh, an mri and so they'll they'll put you know the individual into an mri and then um, they inject a, a chemical called gadolinium. It's a fancy word for a, a chemical that basically goes to the damaged parts of the brain and can spot where are the damage, where is the damage. Mm-hmm. They're, they're called lesions. And so having these things like symptoms like vision problems and lesions together lead you to the to the diagnosis of that you have MS. And then in terms of the the way the disease shows up in a person. In general, you'll you'll hear us describe that a person has what we call relapsing MS, mm-hmm. and what that means is that they'll have instances where the lesions or also the the clinical signs, so you know, having problems walking or or visions uh, vision problems appear and then resolve themselves. They they you know they show up, they get you get treated, and then they they go away, and so that's what's called a relapse. Uh, and, you know, those can happen, you know, in the most common instances of MS, probably about 80% of people have that 
that's how it'll show up. It'll come and go. And we have treatments for managing that, that, that part of the disease. And then the other part we'll call is the way it shows up in individuals at a different phase is what we call the more progressive forms of the disease. And what that means when we say progressive MS is that the person isn't having these relapses where, you know, the signs of the disease come and go very strong mm-hmm. and then they resolve. Instead, what's happening is that you're slowly over time losing the ability to do certain things. And, you know, oftentimes what people will describe it to me is, you know, I used to walk just fine, but then after a few years, I needed to use a, a walking stick. And then maybe five or seven years later, I'm now using a, you know, a, a rollator or I might be using mm. a scooter. And so rather than the disease being like these very strong episodes that come and go and in between you're good, the progressive form of the disease, which we have fewer treatments for, is just this sort of steady loss of um, the things we all take for granted over time, uh, which is is part of the frustrating aspect of the work that we've got to solve. Hmm. So I'm going to use the word dormant. So when it's dormant comes and goes. So you want to call it relapse, relapsing. Yeah. So they call it relapsing. You know, sometimes people will call it benign, but it's not really benign or dormant because what's happening is the relapses are the most pronounced version, you know, mm-hmm. how the disease shows up. But we also know that something's going on in a person's brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where the treatments we have for MS are really important about um, trying to stop the body from attacking the brain. Because what we know is happening in MS is that in the relapsing form particularly is that our immune system, which normally does a really great job of preventing infections and helping us fight off COVID, to use that as an example, yes, or please. whatever, you know, whatever, you know, the the bad parts of the world coming right. at our body, mm-hmm. you know, fine-tuned to fight that off. But for, for reasons that we still don't know why, our immune system in MS decides to turn against the nervous system and starts to attack the nerve cells. It, it attacks the insulation that is around our nerve cells, very important insulation around our nerve cells. And so what the treatments do in relapsing MS is basically slow down that attack by turning down the immune system and basically acting as a break on the immune system and, and its attacks on our brain. Uh, and so the, these treatments are really powerful. They have, they've really changed the landscape um, but it also they also are not really effective in the more progressive forms of the disease. And so that's what a lot of our focus is now is to really figure out for those individuals who have the more progressive forms, how do we how do we change the trajectory of the disease for them? Hmm. Uh, that That's I don't know, because if it is that persons have the progressive, I mean, they might believe it's on the symptoms and they don't know what it is, because as you said, yeah. the hand tingling, they may say they slept on their hands. They always sleep on their hands and wake up with it tingling. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, exactly. So they don't know. And they may at that time have the progressive, but they're not sure because I wake right. up and my hand tingles every morning. And that's that's just what happens. Exactly. Now, the, what I will say, you know, for, for, for you and the, your audience is that, you know, almost, you know, eight, we estimate that about 85% of people who are diagnosed with MS today are, have the more relapsing forms of the disease. Okay. And so that's the good news aspect of if there's good news around this is that most people have relapsing MS. And because today we have the, all of these treatments, they have the prospect of like not having relapses and a very 
sort of steady sort of living, you know, management of their life for, you know, decades. Um, there are, as I said, about 15% of people that, you know, have the more are diagnosed from out of the gate um, with the more progressive form of the disease. And so that's the, the challenge we have to solve. Um, there is also, you know, one of the things we have known before we had disease modifying treatments, you know, a certain, you know, percentage of people who had relapsing MS then, you know, transitioned into what we call progressive MS over time. Um, sometimes people will refer to that as what we call secondary progressive MS because it came after <laughs> secondary mm. because it came after, after the relapse right, right. after. Um, but the 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 one of the things I'd say to your audience though is that this is where having now nearly 20 treatments has been so important because what we are learning is that if you can start a treatment when a person is diagnosed with relapsing MS today, you can push off that that secondary progressive MS into decades and beyond. And some people don't even go there. Um, and so, you know, this is the emphasis, uh, you know, particularly in today's era, where if a person is diagnosed with MS and the doctor says, I don't really have any treatments for you, they're just flat wrong. We have over 20 ways of treating MS today. And so, um, one, I wouldn't expect a doctor to say that, but if someone mm -hmm. did, right. find a different doctor because there are please. so many treatments out there. And um, we are focused on very much on what we need to do with, for progressive MS too. Uh, and so those that, you know, the that's the the next challenging frontier that we're focused on. All right, that's what I call positive you are in terms of <laughs> you know, the, the medication and people can't actually get help for this. Exactly. I mean, the landscape I will say for your audience is, you know, the, actually next, you know, on, I think next month, sometime, I think July 15th or something like that, it'll be 30 years since we had the first disease modifying treatment approved for MS in the United States. Nice. The drug called beta-seron. Today, we have like more than, you know, 20 treatment strategies that can be used and more coming. And so the landscape, you know, has changed. I mean, there hasn't been more progress in a neurological disease than there has been an MS. So it's a, a really a good news story. But I'd also say, I'm sure, you know, to your audience, for those who live with MS, they would also say, yeah, that's great. But, you know, we still have other things like I live with pain, I live with fatigue, I have cognitive challenges. You know, the healthcare system doesn't work <laughs> to help me. Mm, uh, and so those are things. all the things that, you know, you know, when it, in my work at the National MS Society, what we're really trying to do is what we call change the journey of MS completely nice. so that people get diagnosed early and they start a disease modifying treatment early and then they can get on with life uh, and live the life they want. And we know that we still have work to do. But um, the positive thing I would also say is that we've also seen how MS has been transformed. Whew. Okay. All right. We'll take that in. <laughs> <laughs> so for the different stages, you, you spoke about the relapsing and the progressive. Mm -hmm. So how can, how can they be managed or controlled? I mean, we spoke about, the, you know, over 20 ways of treatment, but at least give us like two of them. So there's a different, there are different types of treatments. So there are okay. some that, you know, there's one called Ocrevus, which is an infusion yes. treatment where that yes. gets, you know, what, and basically what that is, you go to the doctor every six months, they put, you know, a, a stick of needle into your veins, they infuse this, this drug into your system. And what, what the way that treatment works is, it targets specific immune cells in your body called B cells, okay. and it goes right to those B cells. Um, and we know those are misbehaving in MS. 
And so it, it basically kills those cells and removes them from your body, but leaves your immune system intact otherwise, and you're able to fight off infections and do a lot of different things. And, you know, every six months you, you go in and you get a treatment. And basically what we're learning is that, you know, particularly if you have relapsing MS, you know, this type of treatment and some others that are like it that target B cells really cuts down the number of relapses people have. So they don't have very many relapses, you know, and people will say, I haven't had a relapse in 10 years sometimes. Um, mm. And so this is really amazing. Um, there are other treatments that are, you know, injections or they're a pill that, you know, also target other parts of the immune system where they'll target other cells that are involved in MS. And, and the goal with all of these is to be able to basically, like I said, act as a break on the behavior of a person's immune system. And so you want to keep your immune system intact because yes. you need to, to fight off infections. So that's right. really important. And at the same time, we also need to ratchet that down. You know, the vision of how we think about treating MS in the future, and this is what the researchers and companies are working on, is that you could, you know, get to the point where you're, you know, really giving somebody a very specific treatment that says, okay, we're only targeting these types of cells in a person's body at this time. Uh, and then our our hope is to say, okay, we're going to turn the immune system off over here and at the same time, you know, focus on rebuilding the brain and rebuilding the nervous system. And this is one of the longer term sort of scientific, you know, scientific strategies, but also what it could mean for people with MS is that, you know, the doctor talks to you about, we're going to give you this treatment to turn down the immune system and prevent the damage. But we also know there's damage there. And we want to accelerate the body's ability to heal itself by giving you this treatment that will promote your body's natural ability to repair itself. And that's another really important point is that the thing about MS that we're learning is that, you know, a person's brain and their spinal cord, you know, we used to say, you know, the, the cells you're born with in your brain, are, you know, they're, they're what you have and the brain doesn't really have the ability to repair itself. Well, that's not true. It turns out the body does have its ability, ability to repair itself, and the brain can repair itself. What we need to do is create the conditions so that it does that. And um, so that's, you know, again, science that, that's been on Earth over the last 10 years. Um, when I started working in MS research, you know, 25 years ago or so, we didn't think that we could rebuild the brain. Well, now we're talking about how do we rebuild the brain. And so nice. it's, a, it's, a, it's a reason to be optimistic about where the community is going. I love that. But Tim, a question for persons who don't like injections mm -hmm. or don't want to take pills, what are the other options that they have? <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I think those are, those are, you know, right now, those are the treatments we have. I, you okay. know, I will say, you know, there are things that we encourage people that in addition, like if you were to, you know, take an infusion or take a, a pill, or if, if, if you're not going to do those options, Really, um, a, a thing that I actively encourage folks that, you know, talk to me said, you know, I've been newly diagnosed. The doctors told me I'm going to start on this, this treatment, which I'm good with the treatment, but there's got to be something else I can do that I can take action around. And so there's a couple of things I say. First off, um, if you happen to smoke, I say, please reconsider that and find right. treatment mm -hmm. for that because that treatment smoking, we know from work that's been done in Sweden and other countries where they've followed people very specifically with MS, it's not so much the act of smoking, it's the smoke itself. Smoking right. 
um, amplify some of the negative effects of MS and the progression. And if you stop, it can actually slow down the progression of the disease. So it is an act. It is something a person can do. So again, I don't want to make assumptions for our audience, but just say, we know that that does accelerate progression. And if you want to take an action to stop progression, that's one thing you can do. Another thing to do is look at diet and, you know, and really think about, you know, what's the diet that you have. There's no one very specific diet that we recommend, but, you know, a low fat diet, Mediterranean style diet, really focusing on trying to remove salt from the diet can make a difference. And then the last piece is to also um, embrace well-being, exercise, mindfulness. You know, those are all things that we talk a lot about today, but one of the things that we also know from the research is things like exercise, increasing a person's metabolism, have beneficial effects on the brain. And we know we notice that that actually has particularly helpful things for people with MS as well. So those three things I would say would be actions anybody should take, you know, uh, and it would be a way that, you know, friends of mine who are like, you know, I'm not really so into treat, you know, I'm taking drugs. I would say, you know, again, talk with your doctor, find the, the, what might work for you. But again, these are some, some things that people can take action on. I actually like how you started by reconsider these things. <laughs> because telling some people to stop sometimes, they don't want to. So reconsider, yeah. you know, reconsider stopping these and see if it will help. Because these things probably help. And I'm going to add stress. Oh, Have less stress. <laughs> Managing stress. And look, I'll be the first to tell you, I'm carrying around more weight than I need. I don't exercise. I mean, I try to walk and get exercise. I could always do more. And I'm a real fan of um, the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, which is really, you know, he talks about, you know, if you want to make a change, just think about what's what's 1% difference that you can do in something. Mm. And anybody, you know, can think about changing something 1%. But if you do 1% per week over over a year, you've made 50% change. So yep. it's, you know, shrinking the change is the important thing. And like I said, you know, everybody had, you know, life is life. And so we just want to be able to, you know, empower, you know, our goal is really to empower people to let them know, you know, we're here to be a supportive partner to you and, um, you know, to help them navigate um, their journey. Very nice. I love that. So, I mean, you answered part of it for the lifestyle changes or modifications that we can make to help um, with MS. But I want to know, like, for the, for the treatments available, we have to, first of all, be diagnosed first. Exactly. Right? And I'm going to also emphasize by a doctor or a neurologist, not by Google. <laughs> I'm going to emphasize that. No, because, <laughs> listen, we have a tendency to go to Google before we go to any doctor. Uh, uh, absolutely. And I think, you know, it, it being able to see him by a doctor. And really, I'd say the other thing that's really super important is, you know, if if you've been told by some by a doctor who's not a neurologist or an MS specialist, you know, you have multiple sclerosis. Uh, one of the things that, I mean, the doctor may be right, but I always recommend get the diagnosis confirmed by a specialist who knows MS or, or give get a second opinion around that. Because, you know, the really important thing is that these treatments that I'm talking about have been very powerful, have made a big difference. And, you know, are also very powerful. And so they have an effect on you. And so it's important before you start a treatment to make sure that your doctor has properly diagnosed you as having MS. 
Um, and that's just, you know, that happens sometimes people get misdiagnosed. And so that's just a, a piece of advice I give also. Right. And also, I think I want to add to that in terms of after the diagnosis is made or such, that you also let your doctor know exactly what's yeah. happening with your body, everything that's taking place. Exactly. Um, as I said earlier in our conversation, genetics or whatever can also cause it. So giving them the relevant information about us from we know what's happening. And as you said, have you always had a twitch in your hand? Have you always had these feelings? Have you always only can, you, you know, you can only see out of one eye, really. The other yeah. eye looks like, look exactly. like they're clothes and it's not cloudy. Um, things like that. Let the doctors know all that information so that they can better diagnose you and they can better help you. Exactly. And embracing your doctor as a partner. And also the other thing to say is that, you know, there are many aspects about MS that require other doctors. So sometimes people will see a physical therapist because they're having trouble walking or they need to see a urologist because they have bladder issues. Mm. And it's just, you know, oftentimes you need a team around you. And it, one of the hardest parts is that, you know, getting all these people coordinated (laughs) can feel like, yeah, it can be be a frustration. Um, But by the same point, what I'd say is knowing that one, you have, you know, you are your best advocate, but also I'll say, this is why we exist as a national MS society. We're here because there are people who live with MS. It's the only reason we're here. Um, we're trying to find a cure. We're investing in research to find a cure, but also this is where we have programs like our MS Navigator program, where we can be there to help people and guide them and, and be a resource to them as they're navigating the challenges. Like, how do I disclose that I live with MS at work? Because some people that can be a scary yeah. thing. Yes. And so we have these programs. This is why we exist to be able to provide people because we're here because we want, you know, we want to cure MS, but also alongside that, we want to empower people to live powerfully. And we know that they do that when they have, you know, support and a guide around them. Awesome. So as you, you spoke about team not too long ago, we need a team of persons around us. For those persons who um, don't want to take these medication because they're afraid of side effects mm-hmm. that will happen to them by taking it. Um, yet, even though they have a team around them that will help them with the side effects, sometimes it's concerning to them because reading sometimes these drugs and sometimes you read the side effect is death. You're wondering, should I really, should I really go ahead and take this medication? Mm-hmm. So for those persons who have um, issues with that, um, what would you say to them? Yeah, no. And I'd say, you know, first of all, I, understand completely you know you read the pages and pages and you're like wow this is a significant side effect um, a couple things i would offer one is this is where you want to have a conversation with your doctor to understand how often does that happen am i in the profile to get that if i did have that side effect what would be my options and that's the the good news about where we are in ms and treatment strategies is if if you know there is a side effect there are other treatments that a person can try that don't have some of those side effects right and so those are the things to really ask the question and then also just to really engage your doctor and sort of like you know what what is what is on your mind what are the the considerations um what are the steps somebody could take perhaps to to mitigate that like you know is if inject you know if taking a pill is not a daily pill is not your thing you know would in every six month infusion right work for you and to look to explore that and really engage the doctor, but also you know they'll all often have 
you know, I, the doctors are great to talk to, but I would also say talk to the nurses in the doctor's office. The nurses really can be such incredible supportive partners okay. uh, to people okay. as they're moving through. So those are some of the thoughts I'd have. Okay, I like that. Um, in terms of treatments, the treatments mm-hmm. available and um, the financial cost mm-hmm. for it. Um, yeah. I, I think people are concerned about the financial cost that it's going to it's going right. to occur for them. Um, how do we go about that? How do persons go about that? Yeah, so that's uh, really a, another important consideration because that, you know the treatments are expensive, especially if you don't have insurance. insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a couple of things. One is, you know, if a person is, you know, part of a commercial insurance, let's say you have health insurance for your employer or a family, uh, how, however it may be. Right. The companies particularly, you know, provide, you know, pretty significant patient assistance programs to help people manage the cost. But also, you know, sometimes those copays still can be quite high. Yes. And so this is where you know, there are organizations that provide, you know, help for individuals who may need some support in that way. We as the National MS Society also really have been focused very strongly on the cost of the MS medications because, you know, our, our view is there's no point in having treatments if people can't afford them. True. <laughs> and so, you know, I, we understand that, you know, you know, because of the, sort of the uniqueness of the United States, how prices are set in the United States are different perhaps than they are in other parts of the world. But, you know, you're right. It, no amount of innovation is helpful if the person, if only a small number of people can get to it. Um, sure. What we are, what we, so, so we raise our voices pretty loud around that with Congress and with the, the pharmaceutical companies. And, you know, some of them, you know, are, you know, will w- listen <laughs> to us. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would also say, you know, to individuals that, you know, this is where um, are the resources we have through the society about how to appeal for your medication, how to find access for other other lower cost alternatives that can be out there. Uh, and also, you know, in terms of connecting you to resources, either through patient assistance programs that the, the companies make available, but also to different foundations that are out there. Um, I'm not going to say that it's easy. Sometimes these can be very challenging right. kinds of things to navigate. Um, but you know, the the what I would my observation is that there are organizations that you know people want to make sure that that individuals can get on their treatment. And mm-hmm. the last thing I would also say is this is another area that if a person is talking to their doctor and their doctor is sort of saying, "Well, let's try this or that," you know, one of the things is just to raise with the doctor. You know, I just want to make sure that this is a treatment that you know I can afford. Yes, uh, and oftentimes the doctors don't think of that angle, mm-hmm. uh, and so I think that's a that's a part of again about being your own advocate, advocate, mm-hmm. and to emphasize that. Mm-hmm. I love that. How can our family members and friends support someone with MS? Uh, the, another really super important thing. So the the first thing is um, in, engaging and being supportive of the person living with the disease and recognizing that you know MS is something that can come and go in a person and that, you know, things like fatigue, which is oftentimes people with MS will say this is really affects them. It, it really, you know, they could be really tired because it's their MS is, is, and so being understanding about how the, the disease can wax and wane is really important. Being a supportive partner, listening to them. And just sometimes, you know, sometimes the most important thing you can do is just be present. You don't need to ask a lot of questions or right. give a lot of advice. People with MS get tons of advice. Mm. Um, 
you know, I think, you know, avoiding certain things like, you know, often people with MS will say that the most frustrating thing is people will say to them, but you look so good. Oh, my. And they're like, yeah, 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 I look so good. I feel not so good inside. And, you know, just really being, you know, there, being there for people, um, being able to be with them and be advocates for them um, is important. And, you know, and just, let's just be mindful. Yeah, just be mindful and just, you know, it's families are complicated. <laughs> <laughs> as always but you know I, I think the most important thing that people can be is just to be sometimes the, the most important thing is just to lend an ear and listen <laughs> Tim said and said families are complicated uh, oh my you goodness know, <laughs> uh, everybody you know everybody's family is complicated which is okay um but it i think you know in something like ms particularly because ms you know you can have somebody who is who lives with ms who's incredibly physically fit and then we'll also tell you that they're living with constant pain. Hmm. And so they can look awesome and also be struggling because of the, the pain that they're navigating because of their oh. MS. And so this is where, you know, there, there are these invisible symptoms of the disease, invisible aspects of it that people don't see on the outside. And this is where, again, a supportive partner, family, friends really can make a big difference. Awesome. I love that. I love how you ended um, before we go, Tim, is there anything that you want to leave with our audience? Most important thing I would say to your audience is that, you know, if you've been told you have MS, it's so, I want you to know that you're not alone. There's a community out there of people who live with MS who are with you. There's a, there's a movement of people who are trying to make a difference. We're here as the National MS Society to be a support to you. And, you know, the, the most important thing is to say you are not alone. Yes. Um, and that, you know, to really reach out and to find the community you need to get support. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Um, Annie, can you let us know where is it that we can connect with you or even, you know, find information about sure. MS? So the best place to go for information, um, if you Google National Multiple Sclerosis Society, you'll find <laughs> us. Um, uh, otherwise, the website is nationalmssociety.org. Uh, and if you're looking for me, I um, the the one place I am on social media, if people are looking for me, is LinkedIn is where mm -hmm. you can find me. That's yes. where you found me. Yes. So that's my <laughs> LinkedIn is my social media of, of choice. You'll see information where I post and talk about different things related to, to MS. Uh, and there's a, a range of other things. You know, the National MS Society has a very active Facebook page, a Facebook community, uh, as well as we're pretty active on, on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Um, Instagram as well, if you want for other stories of support. So um, those are great places to go for inspiring stories of support and to sort of see how people are navigating the journey of MS. Awesome. Well said. Well done. Thank you so much, Tim. Hey, thank you. It was my, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to The Unfiltered by Jade. And we'll be back next week, Tuesday. Thank you.